Thank you, Jeff. Please, please be seated. I always tell you, take away my preaching time when you uh, do that. It's great to see everybody here today. Uh, get your Bibles ready. We're going to be, we might get to the second passage, uh, but we're going to be definitely in the first passage, Isaiah 61, if you take your Bibles and go there. Uh, just good to see everybody. We have some families that are visiting, and uh, we had a chance to greet them a little bit earlier today. But um, you're just very special uh, generation of students. Um, they're already kind of naming this uh, Generation C now for the little kids. It's instead of Z, now they're C for COVID. So I don't know what the title is going to be for this generation, but. I think we all are Generation C now. Uh, it's like the ship that Paul was on. The last year and a half, the entire world has been in the same boat, going through the same storm. And uh, Jew, Gentile, the centurions, the prisoners, they all were in the same boat when Paul was being um, taken to Rome. They hit that terrible storm, and everybody was in the same storm. But it's interesting because the person that was in the bow of the ship, the bottom of the ship, uh, finding time for intimacy with God, Paul, uh, became the captain of the ship. And I think in these days right now, it doesn't matter where you're from, who, where you are, the person that is intimate with Jesus is going to be the captain of the ship. Uh, and I don't mean going to be in charge of other people, but you, you're going to know where this boat's going, and the Lord is going to bring us safely to our destination. Even if the boat breaks apart a little bit more, we're out there floating on a plank, get bit by a scorpion, we're still going to make it uh, to God's perfect and great will for our life. Can somebody say amen today? God is good. God is good. I appreciate your prayers. Many of you know my mom, my mom just passed away. On Saturday, we had a chance to go back to the hometown, and I literally call it living in a thimble. This little town is almost supernaturally little. I, could, I was back at Lemley's Chapel, the only mortuary in Cedro Woolley, Washington, um, my mother grew up in that town. We uh, went back and ate potato salad in the house that she grew up in. My grandpa built the house in 1930 uh, with a hammer and some plywood from Sears. And we're back. My sister owns that house now. It's been in the family. And I'll show you a picture of it. But just right back in that space of where I was born, I was actually born in this little town called Cedro Woolley. Um, nobody's ever heard of it. David Letterman one time called it Sidero Woodley on the Letterman show, but it was, it's Cedro Woolley. Um, but anyway, I think I got a picture of my mom. I hope this is not offensive to anybody, but this is just my beautiful, beautiful mama right there on the left. That she, that's at Partners for Progress when I was inaugurated here four years ago. And we have a great picture of me hugging mom here. The picture on this side, uh, she has suffered with Alzheimer's. And uh, there she is. That's her happy picture a couple months ago. I don't know what she was eating, but she was happy. Got her legs swung over the chair like she's a college student in, the, in uh, Clay Commons right there. So... Um, that little house in the middle is where uh, I was, it's my childhood house um, where I lived. And that was where I, I rode my trike up that little tiny, narrow, a little sidewalk right there. Slept on the right side. There was four kids and a mom and dad. And that house could not have been 400 feet. Uh, slept in the closet of that house. Um, but I remember just as a kid up and down that little thin sidewalk with my tricycle. Next picture, if you will. Um, I think there's another set of photos. This is just uh, saying goodbye to mama on Saturday. Those are my four siblings. Uh, so that's Terry, Doug, Jill, and Scott. So I'm the guy in the dark suit there, but that's my sister, Terry. 
and then my brother Doug and my sister Jill, and that's us, the four siblings, um, just looking over the frame of our mom. And it was, it was like the last paragraph of a 400-page novel in this woman's life. I could speak at length for that, but it was a powerful, powerful moment around that casket. And there were people that found the Lord. It was an informal funeral. It was just a viewing. And, but I had family members show up, and the things that they said around that casket, it was like... I looked over, I said, Mom, the way you lived your life was ferocious. You know, my dad had a lot of problems. He had affairs and he had kids out outside the marriage that showed up in our family. And my mother just took it. And a lot of people thought my mom was weak, that she was codependent, that she would not stand up for herself. And I get that perception, but I, I think at that casket, everybody realized that she was standing in the gap for her kids is what she was doing. It was perceived as not standing up for herself. And everybody realized, even her uh, family, her one sister, just what a profound, ferocious faith and strength that this woman had. And she was not weak. She actually was the exact opposite, was strong. But it all became clear at the casket in this little tiny town that, that you can literally see this, the school where she went, the hospital I was born in, the house I grew up in, the house she grew up in, um, the church I was dedicated in, the little AG church, you could see it all from this one little tiny space and thimble called Cedra Woolley, Washington. So anyway, I think that, that's all the pictures, right, that went up there. So um, thank you for your prayers. Very powerful time. Very powerful time. Isaiah 61, uh, it's, it's a passage that we know extremely well if we've grown up in the church. I just want to draw our attention to something uh, in the passage and explain it with a little bit more tip of the spear for us today. Um, we obviously are living through times, not in times, but we're living through the times. Okay, We're not just in it. we got to get through it. And so the times seem to be continue to extend in the lull and the status quo and the disorientation. We would call that liminality. It's this threshold between what has been and what is about to be. It's like standing in a doorway between two rooms. You lose all your status. You lose all your orientation and you're just kind of between something. Sometimes that liminal space can last a long time as this one is. It seems to be lasting. Are we getting enough vaccines? Are we got herd immunity? And who doesn't want a vaccine? Well, I do, I don't. What's it, what's it mean for the future? Are schools open, not open? Churches open, are they closed? Are, what's going on? Can we travel, not travel? Do I need a mask or not? All these things are going on and there's really no clean date. Have you noticed we don't really have a clean date when we can just throw a big, huge party, have a ticker tape parade and throw a trillion masks uh, out, out of the high rise, that'll be the ticker tape, will be our masks. No one's given us the date yet. Who's, who's gonna be the person that decides this? Is it Fauci, is it the president? Is it, who's, who's gonna decide it's over? Will this be a collective groan, a collective cheer? It seems like we're, we may have entered into something that won't be defined as an alpha and omega, a beginning and an end. We may have entered something that will not have an expiration date on it. And so what happens is we find ourselves literally sitting in this space, like we see in Isaiah 61, sitting in ashes, with ashes being poured on our head. And the Lord's response in Isaiah 61 is so powerful. You've heard it. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because he has anointed me. He's 
smeared me. He's touched me. He's put something on me, this ointment. He's marked me to bring the good news of the gospel to the humble. He has sent me to bind up broken hearts. He has sent me to proclaim release to captives and freedom to prisoners. Very powerful language, very tip of the spear. We have our assignment. It says, and to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God. Fascinating, the favorable year and the day of vengeance. You have this year's worth of grace that is now contrasted to it day of vengeance. So we bring a message of favor of God's grace to our world, but we also are bringing a message of warning. It's not just the favorable year of the Lord. It's the favorable year, but a day is coming. And this speaks of the Lord's return. Most scholars believe it's speaking of the second coming, not the first coming of Christ. This day that is contrasted to a year. And it is amazing. We can spend long periods of our life in this wonderful period of time in which everything is the same. It can feel like a year compared to, then suddenly COVID arrives or something happens on a given day and everything changes in the blink of an eye. So as the people of God, as leaders who are being prepared to water this earth, as graduates of what we call Great Commission U, business education, preaching, songwriting, criminal justice, social work, public schools. I was just speaking with the director of education and just realizing that we've got to raise up an army of missionaries as public school teachers. People are walking away from public education and teaching positions in droves. Because they can't cope with the times in which they live. But in this room, you are being fitted to the times. You're going to be able to cope. You're going to be able to flourish. But man, we need an army of new youth pastors in America. We need an army of new public education teachers in America. We need an army of Holy Ghost-filled social workers in the United States of America. We are postured and situated perfectly perfectly to be fitted to our times to bringing that that message of release and favor and grace to a broken broken world real quickly we are called not only to proclaim the favorable year of grace but also the day of vengeance that it's a message of of grace and warning that we bring in the gospel to our lives to this world we're proclaiming comfort to those who mourn, to grant those who mourn in Zion, giving them a garland or beauty instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, and the cloak or garment of praise instead of a disheartened spirit or a spirit of heaviness. I grew up with that description. We sang songs about put on the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. It's kind of a weird song. But it's down in my heart, and I, I came to understand what that song was all about. So that it will translate into a life that is steadfast and immovable. You become an oak of righteousness, the planting of the Lord. 
uh, that you get to go out and be healers and restorers of ancient ruins, things that have become rubble that were once visionary and designed and built. The enemy has destroyed that life or that work or that city or that nation. And we get to go right into the heart and the vortex of that pain. And we get, by the grace of God, the power of the Spirit in our life, we get to rebuild. So this idea, though, that he has given us both this beauty and this oil and this garment so that our lives can be transformed from the culture in which we are immersed in. It's our only escape hatch out of this culture is that oil of joy, that, that beauty or that garland, and I'm going to hone in on that, and this garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. Right now in our nation, there is a spirit of heaviness. We've weathered all of the protocols. We've weathered all of the uh, guidelines and the rules. And it doesn't feel like we are poised for that expiration date again. So we're just sitting in this place. As a nation, we're sitting in this place as places of education, wondering is this summer going to be the pivot? Will that be the portal? Will next September just, will things return to that? Up on the wall. I can't guarantee that. Not a prognosticator. But here's what I can guarantee. The scripture says, I'm going to hone in on the second characteristic of the garland or beauty for ashes. When people were faced with mourning and loss, they would often signify that loss with a symbol of repentance or mourning or lament in which they would sit in ashes. I'm sure the ashes were cool at that point, but as they sat in the ashes, they would sit there immobilized in this symbol or this demonstration that it is over, something has died, something has passed, something dear is gone, something has been lost. But not only would they sit in the ashes, they would then take the ashes, a handful of ash, and they would put it on their head. And so this, this condition of death that they're situated in would now be placed on their head Symbolic that their mind is now saturated and is enslaved to the death condition. So they sat in the ash and they put the ash on top of their head. That's a sorrowful. Now, I will tell you, when I was done with Mama's memorial on Saturday, I walked home, which really only took about two minutes because it's a very small town. But I just kind of zigzagged down the streets. I wrote that I, I literally found the same puddles that were there in 1967 when I was five. I found the same puddles. Stomped my foot. I said, I remember walking through this puddle. It had rained. I go, there's a puddle here. I remember that puddle. Just walked and stood in front of the five different places I lived in that town. That one was the longest. Imagine the trike and imagined where we sat on that corner of cement uh, little um, curb for the loggers rodeo, the logging truck. The whole, the whole, the whole parade was logging trucks. That's all, all they did in that town. So I was going through this really mystical, powerful, therapeutic experience in my life. I, 
I did feel like sitting in ashes. There's a sadness. Um, there's a brevity. There's a reality than the, when the person you're attached to physically uh, in this life is gone. And now all the storytellers, all the framing, all the template of your own life is gone. I was most like my mom. People would meet my mom and say, oh, now I know where you get it all from, Scott. So that, that's done. No one's ever going to say that again. Uh, didn't have a perfect relationship, didn't have a perfect mom uh, through it all. But I did feel like finding some ashes and just kind of sitting there in the finality, the passing, the loss of my known world. For those of you that have had a parent pass that you had relationship with, you understand uh, the feeling, I'm certain. Uh, you really do feel like an orphan for the first time in your life. I even looked up the definition of orphan, and it's just somebody whose who's both parents have passed away. So you can be an orphan at 58. And sat there, and this picture of Israel at a point in the conditions of this world that the servant of the good news has been sent to that is sitting among a world that is sitting in ashes and putting ashes on their head, that their mind is being clothed in finality and death and loss. So when the Bible says that he places a garland or beauty, the word there in the Hebrew means, literally means exquisite hats. It, it's the word for hat. Now, why would he take the ashes that were seated and he doesn't replace it with an exquisite seat because we can't escape the conditions? But how we apply the conditions to our mind and our mindset, that's where the Lord and the power of his kingdom begin to transform us. He said, I don't want death and finality and loss to cover your mind, to cover your thinking, to clothe your mindset. I'm going to take the ashes off of your head. I'm going to heal your mind. I'm going to give you the right perspective, the right kingdom outlook. And I'm going to put beauty or this exquisite hat on your head to begin to change your mind, your thinking. So the ashes came off the head. They did not replace where they were seated. Because we are situated in conditions, not of our making, not of our choosing, but sometimes we can't change the world that we've been sent into. That's okay. As long as the ashes don't creep into your head. That's the victory. The ashes are replaced with the beauty, the exquisite hat, the garland that went on the head. Then he said, I'm replacing... The garments, worship team, if you would come. I'm going to replace, I'm going to put a garment of praise to take away the spirit of heaviness. Man, if this nation ever needed a word from heaven, it's Isaiah 61. But we are the fire starters. We are the instruments. We're the ones who've been touched by the ointment of anointing in our life, been touched by God. In a broken and corrupt world that finds itself not only situated in death and loss, but it's covering their mental capacity, their mind. You have got to break free. I've got to break free so that I can be an instrument to this world that is effective, that's alive, that's on fire, that 
dreams of watering the earth with the gospel, not losing my mission, not losing my hope, not losing that powerful obsession with seeing prisoners and the broken and the, the hurting, not only healed, but set free. And the personal vision to break up, break out from being consumed by the ashes so that the Lord would transition me into a mighty oak that is planted, immovable, steadfast for a lifetime. A lot of people thought my mother was weak because she forgave everybody. She never carried the residue of yesterday to the next day. Could have hurt her, disappointed her, wronged her. She would see that person, and the next time she saw, she would be hopeful for their future. I've never met a human being totally absent of malice, vengeance, wrath, bitterness than my mom. I never met a human, I've never met a Christian like her in that regard. She always believed the best and she always believed the Lord can do anything, anywhere, with anyone, even if they were a personal Judas Iscariot to her. She just the next day would believe. I told a leader this week, listen, there's really only two ways the road's going to diverge. Either you're going to get into your 30s and 40s and from that point forward, you're going to continue to develop or you're going to start to deteriorate. I'm a year and a half from 60. I can see the dashboard pretty clear. I have a lot of sample size to look at now with people I've done a generation with. Some develop, some deteriorate. Some start down a path. I was grateful that my mother continued to develop her optimism. She's in this memory care facility I would go visit her on occasion, couldn't do it much because of COVID, but that leg swung over the chair. That crazy smile. She was the toast of the town in that Alzheimer's home. And so we're there at the casket and people that may have perceived my mother was weak are sobbing their brains out saying this actually was the most ferocious, faith-filled person I've ever met. Nobody ever took it, took it like a, a big rock that is jettied out in the North Atlantic off of Maine that takes this as my mother. She took it. Storm after storm, wave after wave. So I looked at mom as these confessions and this repentance was going on at the casket. I looked at mom and I just said, mother, you, you won, mom. And I just told my brother, he said, I, I, I'm with her. I'm with her. I literally wanted to crawl inside the casket and give her a hug and just say, I'm, I'm, I'm with her. I'm going to do my, walk out my faith like that. And I'm going to be 
who cares if people think you're weak and you're too forgiving and you're too kind, blah, blah, blah. I know that sounds kind of maybe a little bizarre, but sometimes you feel like maybe I am not a strong enough Christian because I need to be hurt or cut people. I just watched my mom do it, but I saw the repentance that it produced in people. It was so powerful, so powerful. My mother somehow didn't let the ashes, didn't leave the ashes on her head. She sat in the ashes pretty much her whole life. But the ashes on her head got replaced by beauty, a garland, the exquisite hat of the Lord's presence. So her mind, even though her circumstance, her mind did not fail her spiritually. I just want to live that way in this day and age. Let's stand together. Hallelujah, Jesus. Let's just begin to sing. Very simple song. We know it well. Um, let's just lift our hands, our voices for a few moments together before we head back into a life of homework and holiness, right? That's our two words. Um, so God is good. God is good. But anyway, let, let's, let's lift up the Lord for just a few moments. Let's let that beauty and that garland and that exquisite headdress uh, replace the ashes so that our minds our minds are not filled with the circumstances that we're sit sitting in, friends, in Jesus' name. Let's let it happen right now. Holy Spirit, come in this place.